0: Shalom, Shavua Tov, Erev Tov, good evening here in Yerushalayim, and Boker Tov, good morning to all of you tuning in from wherever you are. I am Rabbi Cantor Shani Ben-Oh, I am here again in place of Rabbi Angela Bogdahl. It has been such a privilege in the last three weeks taking the time to meditate with you all and it's good to be back. I spent many important moments leading in Central Synagogue as a cantorial intern, and really developing professionally and personally, and I am here back in Israel, serving as a clergy person, doing a lot of interfaith work, and also, teaching chazanot and leading prayer services in multicultural settings and just back and doing the important work here. Today, I was thinking about where we were at as a people on Shabbat in preparation for this meditation. So last Shabbat, we were all at Mount Sinai. Do you remember being at Mount Sinai? Isn't it an amazing thing? According to our tradition, we were all there together. Even though so much time has passed, we reenact Mount Sinai in so many of our rituals. For instance, when we read from the Torah, we take out the Torah, we treat it as an object with spiritual and even mystical values, magical. We don't touch the Torah with our hands we handle it very differently. And this really also mimics the way we received. Luchot HaBrit, received the Ten Commandments. Um, and so we reenact Mount Sinai a lot. And spiritually, traditionally, we were all there. Just like we are all here right now. While it seems very empowering that we gathered together as a people and we received the Ten Commandments and we finally were able to rise from the tragedy and trauma of being slaves in Egypt and start to reclaim our a voice of autonomy and independence, just like here in Israel, it is supposedly only an empowering moment in history. The truth is, and this always amazes me when I read last week's Torah portion, that it was very scary, very dramatic, very dark, even literally. It was dark. The sky was filled with clouds and thunder and lightning. And it was scary because sometimes things that are powerful can also be extremely intimidating and scary. Maybe you can think about this in your own lives. It was so different than anything we've experienced as a people that we actually, it says in the Torah, in the Bible, that we saw voices. We saw voices. Am Israel, Bnei Israel, the people of Israel could see voices. What does that mean that we saw sounds? So a few of our commentators say that it was very literal. These verses in the Bible that say that the people of Israel saw the sounds on Mount Sinai, it actually refers to lightning. We see the lightning, we also hear the thunder. And so it explains what nature, what was happening in nature. But I always felt, especially as a musician, as a cantor, the first cantor that was ordained here by the Reform Movement in Israel, I always felt that that's not a very satisfying explanation because there has to be a different understanding of these very interesting intentional words of seeing voices in the most important moment maybe that we have as a people, as a community, as a nation. And so looking at other commentators, we understand that perhaps the people of Israel saw the voice of God. Meaning that there was a spiritual encounter that made us connected to our senses and experience things in a different way, we could see voices that we are supposed to hear. What does it mean to see voices? In Israel, right now, we see the voices of those that aren't with us, constantly. We see the voices of our hostages. For instance, in Gaza, still 130 of them, even more than 130. They're not with us. They can't speak for themselves. We can't literally hear them. But we see their voices in front of our eyes all the time. We feel their voices. We feel the absence of their being. We can see it so vividly. In our fantasies, we see them returning. And we can only hope it's not a fantasy. When something is so intense and so different than what you'd ever experienced before as a human being, your senses react differently. Just like every Shabbat, since that Black Shabbat, we call it the Black Shabbat here, Many of our bodies relive that Shabbat. We can feel it all over again. We can see the images. When people have post-trauma, and we now have also collective post-trauma, and I'm reading a lot of research about it also because of the interfaith work I do and how important it is for me to be sensitive and attentive and to tend to the needs of the Israelis and Palestinians that I serve, we're all experiencing collective trauma, and that means in It acts like individual trauma, an individual trauma. If you've ever met a person who, for instance, came back from battle or had some other kind of trauma in their lives, you have flashbacks. You see situations you experienced in the past, and you experience them with all of your senses as if they're happening in this very moment. You see voices. You're not hearing them. You're feeling them. You're seeing them. And how do you come out of that kind of encounter? How do you get back in touch with reality? Do we even want to? Do we want to stop seeing the voices of those who are not with us unjustifiably due to horrific acts of crimes against humanity? That's a deep question because here in Israel, We want to continue to live. People are still losing their lives for us so that we can live here. We feel that every day. And those are other voices that we see. We watch the ceremonies of burial, the funerals. It's important to many Israelis to turn on the television and to be part, to be a kahal, to be a witness, to bear witness to those interactions, to see the voices of pain. But then how do you get back in touch with reality? The people of Israel, after the, the drama of receiving the Ten Commandments, and that catharsis that moment, in our next Torah portion this week, it's actually titled Laws, Mishpatim, Rules. They come out of the experience of Mount Sinai to encounter very specific rules, a manual, if you will, to do's and don'ts, what we should do and what we shouldn't do. By the way, as liberal Jews, it's always a tough Torah portion. It really, it has some laws, some rules that we probably feel uncomfortable with. That being said, how natural is it? Coming out of that kind of an encounter where you see things that are going to stay with you, stick with you for a very long time, and to be in touch with reality, coming back to very clear rules of what we should do and how we should behave and how we shouldn't behave. Here in Israel, that too resonates with me very, very strongly, because when you go back to your life, when you're trying to... Not forget those voices that you see, but bring them with you into a new state of reality where you can also be useful, productive, and a resource for your surroundings. I have a son who's four years old. As I said, I tend to students and faculty, academic and also administrative at Hebrew University where I run an interfaith center. How can I do that? How will, my, how will my academic community, from students to faculty, come back to campus? In preparation to reopening our campus, we did something very simple. We took out a pamphlet in three languages so that everyone can understand, in Hebrew and Arabic and in English, and it was called Living, Learning, Together. And we wrote, basically, guidelines, just like the Israelites received after Mount Sinai, in which we said very simple things that you can and cannot do in our shared spaces. For instance, to say anything in support of the Act of Crimes Against Humanity on October 7th from any side is also illegal and also unacceptable. Another guideline that sounds very simple and obvious, but was not to many people in Israel after October 7, specifically Jews, is that it is totally acceptable and we allow to condemn the lives, the innocent lives that are being taken on all sides and that you are allowed to also raise a political flag against it against innocent lives inside and outside of Israel that are being ended right now. And so on and so forth. And so we had very simple guidelines that maybe seem obvious to you, but to us, they allowed us to walk into campus to see the voices that we all hold. And we do. I have students with families in Gaza and I have students that their loved ones are fighting in Gaza as Israeli soldiers. That is literally what's happening right now inside the borders of Israel. How do you come off the mountain? How do you still see the voices and don't forget them and go back to your life and build your life in the desert? That's really where we are. And so it is time for us to now meditate and reflect on some of those concepts and thoughts. And I invite you to get comfortable to start even right now, to gain an awareness to your body, to breathe, to make sure all of your technological devices are silent. And what I'd invite you to think about today are voices that you see, Right now, it doesn't have to be in relation to Israel. Bnei Yisrael ro'im et ha'kolot. As a people of Israel, even though it's a very hard action and hard thing to bear, we bear witness to voices. We see them all around us. And we should be encouraged to see voices. Even of those who aren't from our, our own group. What voices do you see? What voices have you seen? Perhaps it's not even of some kind of a national group, culture, religion. Maybe it's just a memory of a loved one that you can still hear singing you a lullaby. <laughs> I'm inviting you to breathe and see voices. Don't worry about the time. D'al-echa Sh'e-kul r'oha v'r'oha Y'esh'lo ni-bun יש start opening your eyes, take one final breath start moving your, your feet, your hands coming back to awareness and connection to your bodies that was a teaching of Rabbi Nachman that you just heard composed and rewritten a little bit by Noam Mishemel Rabbi Nachman teaches us that um, the whole land of Israel sings from the grass, wheat to the people themselves that grow it. Every creature in Israel has a song. We see the voices this week. Let's let that carry into the week too. We were just there together in a scary moment, whether if it's Mount Sinai, whether if it's the beginning of October in Simchat Torah, whether if it's now. We were just there together. We can see voices. And when we understand how to behave in this world, what to do, what not to do, we hope that it makes place for the sacred voices of being. For those we want to hold with us. And perhaps voices of people that we care about. And whether if their lives ended tragically or just naturally, and we can still dwell in their voice. Whether if it's voices of clarity, jarring voices. I remember one iconic sermon from your Bima, Rabbi Angela Buchta, at the beginning of the war. Voices of clarity that enable us to see reality differently. Or perhaps from your president, Joe Biden. Or maybe voices that didn't only come from our leaders, that enabled us to see those voices, that they all call us to hear and to change accordingly but also voices that can even come from God. The voices we see are very powerful. They can build us, they can break us. Let's make sure we behave. Let's make sure we know how to live in this world. And also, we can still see those voices. I will see you next week.